great. This is great. Again, we're standing out and people come through and say, oh, I've never seen this before. Oh, this is fantastic. Oh, wow. I, I really like this. Now, of course, they're going to leave their information. They're going to leave it and be more truthful with their information because they've already taken the time to fill out the, the open house form. Building a successful real estate career requires you to adapt, pivot, and constantly master new skills. We're Katie and Daniel Steinfeld. We've built our own innovative brokerage. And in this podcast, we've assembled actionable tips and strategies that you can implement to take your business to its maximum potential. It's time to level up. Level up. Today, we are really happy to be joined by a special guest. It's always fun when we can get someone really cool in here. Today is no exception. We've got Ryan Smith here today from Launch Your Farm, the founder of Launch Your Farm. Go to launchyourfarm.com to check out more about him. But basically, this guy, as far as real estate is concerned, he's like the old McDonald of real estate. If anybody knows farming, this is your guy. We're talking geographic farming today. He has been around, if I'm not mistaken, to a lot of different localities in your career. And uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about that quite a bit. But he is the guru of all things owning your farm, building it. He's a coach. He's a mentor. He's a teacher. He's got his own show. And we're going to try to cover as much as we can as we can about that as we talk. But welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That's no, a great intro. No, I'm done. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if I missed anything. He's all he's a Six Sigma black belt yeah. and a PhD from Harvard. Uh, but yeah, no, we're really happy to have you. And uh, I think today the people who are on here are going to uh, really, hopefully I'll encourage everybody, if you haven't been on one of these before, ask questions as we go. We will get to them all. Um, but uh, in the meantime, we will kick things off with some questions of our own. Yeah. Well, why don't we start with, I mean, I want to know Daniel gave a bit of an introduction, but why don't you tell us about Launch Your Farm? What, what is that all about? Yeah. So it's basically my love child. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of a 13 years. I've been in the business 13 years now or coming up to 13 years. And it's basically the everything I've worked on over the last 13 years kind of thrown into this project. And basically it's my love for geographic farming. And, and basically it started, I'll go into my history in a bit, but it basically has taken all the things that I've learned over the years and put it into one thing to really show agents geographic farming is the future. I firmly believe that. I think that a lot of agents who may have had experience with farming in the past have heard different things or have tried it and have kind of given up on it. And I'm here to revive the love for geographic farming and really bring to light how agents can be doing geographic farming in their business and really take it to the next level. And so it's a show. So I've got a show, Katie, you've been, we're a past guest on the show. Mm-hmm. So I interview agents and professionals who have value that they can add to the whole geographic world. I showcase tidbits, information, and, and really just just trying to share the love with geographic farming. So I also do coaching and training. So I've got some courses and I'm working on a membership site as well. So it's basically just all things geographic farming. So yeah. Perfect. That's great. And I think in this industry currently where there's a lot of agents kind of going all over the place and really not having a focus geographically, um, I think this is a great topic to discuss because we know just with our own agents and, and, and our own business, mm-hmm. the more you focus on an area, whether it's a geographic area or a type of client, um, the, the more impact you're going to have. Uh, why do you think people are so hesitant to have that focus. That's 
two easy answers for that one. First is they're afraid of their f- fear of missing out. So a lot of agents think that if I focus too small, if I focus on one pocket, I'm going to miss out on all this other business. And in reality, they miss out on more business than they would have if they focused. And because they're trying to be all things, to all people, they're trying to be in all places. They miss out on a tremendous opportunity and quick, intro into my in my back uh, past history i used to run a, a podcast called the niche agent so it was about five or six years ago and that's kind of where this came from for me and i realized that the more niche you can get the better your business is going to do so i interviewed agents i did it for over a year and i interviewed agents who had unique niches from i had a nudist she was on hgtv's buying naked i had sport people who worked with sports stars with musicians i had people that did for sale by owners i had people that did uh bank owned properties. I had like everything you could think of. And the agents who really did well and really enjoyed it were the ones who narrowed down, were able to become that go-to person and were able to crush it. And in today's society, I find that there's so many agents out there that are trying to be generalists and we've, they've missed the opportunity to be that specialist. And there's, in my opinion, there's a ton of opportunity for agents to really become that go-to person. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, so for you then, like geographic farming is one niche we could call it. I mean, it's a pretty common one, but what is it that drove you to that versus, and and do you feel that that if someone was to say, okay, I want to hone in on a niche, is that the one that you would typically push people to, or is it just one of many that? I'm a little bit biased, so I would push them in that direction. Right. But, of course. Uh, <laughs> the reason why I think geographic farming is a great fit is because it allows a person to become that go-to expert. It allows a person to really build a brand that resonates with the community. And it allows you to save time, energy, resources. You can put your focus in, in one community, in one area, and be the go-to person. The other reason why I really like it is it allows you to strategy stack. And that's something that I talk about all the time is you can now add in all the different strategies into your area. So for example, if I was to be a cold caller, if I only do cold calling, I got to spread myself out and cold call all these different areas, but then something could happen. Something could change. The rules could change. And now I can't cold call or another one would be door knocking. I could be a door knocker and just go out and door knock, door knock, door knock, but then COVID hits and now I can't door knock or open houses. And I could be doing open houses all over with farming. You can now layer in those strategies and you can actually have them work together. And if something ever happens to one of those strategies, you can add in another layer. And the other reason why I like it is because you can kind of personalize it to your own flair or your own flavor and make make it really what you want and my farm would look very different than your farm and someone else's farm would look different than my farm because you can put in a bunch of different strategies and when you do that though it actually compounds and you can add in door knocking cold calling open houses all those strategies and really kind of make your own your own world within your own farm so yeah Yeah. I guess door knocking as a nudist would be a dangerous thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's in the weather, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're in the right neighborhood, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know those neighborhoods. <laughs> um, so guys, just a quick uh, quick note, feel free to jump in with your questions at any point. We'll make sure to address them. We did get a couple questions before this, um, but before I get into those, like the, our main audience today is new registrants, new realtors coming into the market, trying to figure out, okay, what lead gen system can I implement into my business. And I know there's a lot of agents that have also moved around geographically. So they're trying to like, you know, get back into a farming area and have that focus. So what are some things like first few steps that a new agent coming into a geographic farming area can start implementing today? 
So I think just, it's important to understand that farming is really about positioning. And when you can position yourself as that expert and that go-to person, that's really the key and the, the really the, the pivotal point about farming. If you do it correctly, you can position yourself as an expert very quickly. So even if you're brand new, you can position yourself as the expert in the neighborhood. Myself, I moved, as Daniel mentioned earlier, I moved a couple times, so I've moved three times. My very first time I started in the business, I moved three and a half hours away from where I was, didn't know anyone except for my family up there. And then I moved again and I moved again. So even if you're brand new, no experience, no nothing, setting yourself up as that expert is the, is a good way to start. And you can do that by a number of things. You can do that by becoming the expert of knowing the inventory. That's the easiest way. You could literally go out, learn what's out there, learn the sales, learn the builders, learn the community, and just become that expert that way. Then you can position yourself as the expert through your marketing. So when I started my farm, we positioned ourselves as the orchard real estate team. So the neighborhood was the orchard. We right off the bat, branded ourselves as the experts, as the orchard real estate team. And our first listing we got, she came in and said, well, you guys are the experts. We'd never even known the house in that neighborhood before, but because we positioned ourselves as the experts, it built in trust, it built in value add for the people. So when you're getting started, I think positioning yourself as that expert is the, the biggest first step to getting started. Whether that's, again, whether that's knowing people in the community, whether that's getting involved in the community, whether that's giving back, whether that's connecting with local businesses. It's just how can you position yourself as the go-to person? So if you start with that, then you can start building on your strategies and tactics that you're going to do to amplify that and, and really get out there. As another thing, as a new agent, you have to have a budget. And I always talk about budget as in three ways. So a lot of people think about a financial budget. And that makes sense. You have to have a certain amount of money. But you also have to have a time budget. So if you are brand new and you don't have a lot of money, you may have more time than you do money. So you may be doing more time intensive things to get started. But the other thing that a lot of people forget about is what I call the energy budget is you have to have the mental energy to do it. If you're going to get started and you hate doing what you're doing, if you're got started cold calling and you hate cold calling, that's going to zap your energy and it's going to, mm -hmm. you're not going to stick around with it. And I, I would say when I started, I luckily started on an internet based team that did a lot of internet marketing and I like that and I enjoy that. If I started on a team that was cold calling, I probably wouldn't be in the business still. So you have to find what's going to work for you and what's not going to zap that energy and you're going to stay committed to it. Once you know your budget, then you can start working out your plan. So I would say start with a smaller area then because a lot of people think oh, I'm going to go huge and they pick a giant neighborhood and then they blow through their budget. And that's the, the biggest mistake I see agents make. And that's the biggest reason for failure in this is they go too big, too quick. So I'd see I'd rather see a start small, set aside a small budget and say, okay, here's what I'm going to commit to and then and start that way. Now, would you say with the budget that it's such a good point that it's not just money. Yeah. If, if somebody has a limited call it amount in one of those three buckets, right? Yep. So maybe they've got money, but they don't have time or vice versa. Do you look at it as like, they can kind of adjust the dials and it still works or is there, yep. okay. So that's yep. the approach they should take is kind yep. of find the balance that works yep. for them. Okay. When you're getting started, you may, like I said, you may have more time. Yeah. So then you will start doing more time intensive things to get it going. And then eventually your farm should always self-fund itself. That's the one thing I was talking mm -hmm. about is mm -hmm. you're, you, and when you get started, you obviously don't have funds coming in from it, but you should be taking money off of each deal to put back directly into the farm. That's another mistake that agents make is they take money out of their after tax dollars or after, but when they start taking that money and then when things go funky or it doesn't go exactly the way they want for a couple months, they say, well, I'm not going to spend the money 
out of my personal money. So you should always be funding it. You should not be having a fund set aside and every deal you do should be starting to fund it. Eventually what you want to get is to have less time and more money. So then it's, you can buy back more time. You can either start another farm and then just keep growing it. Uh, it but if, if time's what you got, work with it. If money's what you got, I'd be careful though, because a lot of agents throw a lot of money around and they, yeah. I've seen that happen too, where they go, okay, I've got 20 grand. I'm going to dump it into my farm. And then they haven't tested it. They haven't tracked what's working and what's not working. And then all of a sudden six months goes by and 20 grand's down the tube and they've got nothing to show for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that energy piece is yeah. so important too. Like it, if you're not motivated to get out there and like really engage with the community and just be actually interested in what you're, you're doing, that's going to just have detrimental impact on your progress. So yeah. I think that's a really, really good point. Mm -hmm. Now we have, we have a ton of questions, but there's yeah. questions coming in also. Yeah, so, this. <laughs> um, so I'll put my questions on hold. Did you want to go to the ones that came in before the, uh, the show there's yeah. ones coming in in real time now too so yeah okay the, so the first one we had received um a couple of days ago was just with regards to choosing a farm and just like the turnover rate and like what is the science or the numbers behind that like how do you how do you determine what makes sense for you so i'm gonna bust that myth because a lot of people have heard that you focus on turnover rate and they say that's the number to look at look for good turnover rate and the reality is turnover rate is one metric of, mm -hmm. of health I, I call it it's, it's a health check it's like if I said, well, I've, my, I've got good uh, blood pressure. Well, your cholesterol could be through the roof or your, you could be 100 pounds overweight. That's one metric. So you have to look at all the numbers kind of as a whole to say, is this a good farm? So for those of you who don't, may not know, your turnover rate is the number of sales in a 12-month period divided by the number of homes in that neighborhood. So I'll use simple numbers. If there's 1,000 homes in the neighborhood and there's 100 home sales in the last year, then your turnover rate is 100 divided by 12 or 1,000, which is a 10% turnover rate. Now, industry average for most areas is Canada-wide is about just over 4%. So about for every 1,000 homes, there's about 40 home sales. There are neighborhoods that hit that 10%. Not very many do. And the problem is that a lot of trainers and coaches in the past have taught, well, you have to look for something over 10%. The mm -hmm. odds of you finding something over 10% is very, very minimal. Mm -hmm. usually that happens and it only happens for a few years and it's generally on new subdivisions. Mm -hmm. So it'll usually be at that two to five year mark. People bought a bunch of new, a lot of people bought new homes. They've lived in them for a few years and then you get that spike in turnover rate. And then as things level off and, and that neighborhood becomes used, mm -hmm. uh, that, that turnover rate tends to kind of level off. Now, if you're in a neighborhood that has high turnover rate, because you could be like a military area where there's constant turnover, you may have a higher turnover, but there's also, other things to look at when it comes to turnover rate, which is price point. The lower price point tends to have a higher turnover rate just because of the nature of the price point. You're getting people who are getting started. They're getting their foot in the door in the, the housing uh, world. Then they move up or they move on. If you get into multi-million dollar homes, generally someone's going to stay there for 15, 20 years. They've, it's their kind of last home before they, they retire. So that tends to have a lower turnover rate. So if you're looking at just turnover rate, you have to decide what turnover rate do you want to look at, but also the other metrics. Now, another thing that's important to look at is not just the turnover rate itself, but it's the competition. So mm -hmm. what, how much competition is there? If there is any, you also have to look at price point. So is there an actual price point I want to go after? Some people, they like the, the first time home buyer price point because they get a lot more leads. 
Some people like the high-end luxury. Some people like the in-between. I like that midpoint or just below average price point. The other number that I look at is the number I've created. It's called the total farm value. And that's really how much money is coming out of that farm. So the, how to calculate that is basically the total commissions that come out of your neighborhood times two because there's the buy side and the sell side. So it's not just the, the, the listing commission because there's actually two ends for every sale mm -hmm. multiplied by how many sales there are. So it gives you a number of if I was to get every single deal in that neighborhood, how much money could I extract from that? When you know how much money is coming out of that, you can then work backwards and then say, okay, if I want 10% market share, if I want if it's a million dollars worth of commission, I could get $100,000 if I got 10%. Okay, now what would I be willing to spend to get that $100,000 out of my farm? Mm -hmm. So that's a number that I think is important because you could have two neighborhoods that have different turnover rates, different price points, different co average commissions, and then come out with the exact same uh, average or, uh, total farm value. And you could say, well, looking at all things, I'd rather go after that neighborhood. I'd rather go after this neighborhood. So there's a number of things that are important to to consider. Yeah. Now, some people ask, how do I actually find those numbers? I know Katie that had asked that question uh, mm -hmm. sent to me earlier. Definitely. And in Canada, it's a bit trickier because of our uh, privacy laws. In the States, they have programs and companies that you can literally click three buttons and it'll send you all the information, yeah. give you phone number, cell phones, date of birth, everything. Mm -hmm. So in Canada, there's, there's a couple different ways. The first is manually go through it. So if you live in a small neighborhood, you could physically go around and count a little bit of work. Uh, one way to get above that or go above that, it would be using geo warehouse. You can literally scroll in, check the streets, count them that way. But one of the easier ways, but not as accurate is the Canada post postal walk. So you can look in a the neighborhood. They've got the precision targeting tool. You can zoom in. Now the problem with that is it's not always accurate because sometimes you have walks that cover into different areas. This one might be half on here and half over here, but it's a good way to just kind of give you a general amount. The other way to do it, which is not accurate, but it gives you a rough idea is to reverse engineer it. If you know ballpark what the turnover rates are in your neighborhood, you could take how many home sales are in the area, divide it by the turnover rate and kind of work backwards. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to do it. Or if you live in an area, if you're trying to figure out the area of, or sorry, the, the number of homes in a town, the number I use is three. So basically if there's 3000 people, or 30,000 people, there's about 10,000 homes. So it's divided by three. Because on average, it's mm -hmm. like Canada wide, it's like 2.94 people per home. Mm -hmm. So you could work backwards. If you knew the population, you could work backwards. But really, the, the most accurate is going to be counting it, or the Canada Post is going to be your easiest way to get an idea of how many homes are in the area. Mm -hmm. Now, some people, they focus on it and they spend, I'm going to spend two months trying to figure out how many homes are there before they even get started. And it's like you're just, you're spending a lot of time and energy and it's the way to avoid doing the work to do it. But uh, in reality, it's, it's get started. You got to figure out how many is there, but don't get hung up completely on, on turnover rate. Okay. Um, I, I want to build on one thing you said before we go to the next question, because yeah. we have the mic. <laughs> um, you talked about competition. Do you give any weighting or do you take into consideration the nature of the competition and not just the number of people? So for example, there could be four people, but if they're all heavy farmers, does that then weigh in versus 10 people who show up once in a while to sell a place? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I, I talk about it all the time is that when you're looking at the competition, you have to look at, are they farming it or not? Because there mm -hmm. are, for example, in my area, there is a number of big teams that just by the nature of the volume of business they do, 
they're going to get a, a certain market share because they get that in every neighborhood because they do 400 plus deals a year. So they're going to get a certain market share. Now, the question is, are they farming it or not? Because if they're not farming it, that's very different than if they are farming it. Mm-hmm. The other thing is you have to look at the trends of the, that person if they are farming it and if they're not. So are, is their market share going up or is their market share going down? So there's an area here. There was a lady. She farmed it. She had, I think it was like 13% market share. And that was six years ago. You can see every year it's going down. She, 13, 11, 9, 7. She's at like 4% market share now. So she's not farming it or farming it well. She's not actively going after it. So there's opportunities. If you would have asked five years ago who owns that area, you'd say she owns that area. But you can see the numbers are, are, are dropping. Now, mm-hmm. see, I have to look at the opposite. Are they going up? Is someone actively farming it? Have they been farming it for two years and all of a sudden their business is taking off and they're, and they're going after it. But I want to share, I think it's something that's important. A lot of people are afraid of competition and reality is most times there isn't a lot of competition, especially when it comes to geographic farming. That's another reason why I love it. Most agents aren't farming and they're not farming well. Mm. So they may be, marketing to a neighborhood or they may be trying to break into the neighborhood, but they're not really farming and they're not doing it well. So the other thing is we, we see their stuff or we think that they're doing a lot more than they're doing. I'm going to use another example. There's a team here smart started in a small town in our area and they crush it. When you say that town, people say they own this team. I'm not going to say their name, but that, that team owns that neighborhood and it's synonymous with their, with their, how much business they do. So I surveyed agents and I said, well, how much market share, do you think they have? So actually I'll pause. So people, if they want to know market shares, how much percentage of the number of total sales. Mm-hmm. So I said, how much I, I, I asked like 10 or 15 different agents. How much market share do you think they have? And they said, wow, 20, 25, 30. Someone said 35% market share. It's 13% market share. Hmm. So average, just over one out of every 10 sales is theirs. Now that's a lot. That's a good amount of market share. But if that, works for an agent that agents think that they've got more market share than they've got the population thinks the same thing so that's the the key is you have to realize that the population may see that person as the expert even though they're only selling one to ten homes but that also works in your favor so as you get going you don't need to have 30 percent market share 40 percent market share to be the dominant player so if you can get five percent market share ten percent market share you can really build a business and become that go-to person without having to sell it one out of every three homes. Yeah, right. makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, okay, so we'll go to some questions that are coming in right now. Uh, first question is in the smaller cities where there isn't so many larger neighborhoods, what would you recommend? Um, and so I guess building on that, it's like, oh, I think I've heard a lot of people ask like the number, like how many, like, is it like a thousand? Like, where do you start? And then how do you build up from there? So to answer that question, I don't want to make it sound bad, but doesn't matter what the size of the city is. There's going to be a farm size that you can go after. And the reality is it's actually better in smaller towns and smaller cities because there's actually better, usually micro pockets or micro opportunities. Yeah. And there, again, there's no right or wrong because it's going to come down to budget and time, but there's kind of more, I'd say there's too much that someone can take on as an agent, as a solo agent, I would say between 500 and 1500 homes, you could do 2,500 homes could do 3000, but then you're going to probably spread yourself out too thin, especially if you're getting started. So again, going back to that self-funding model, you want to look at what can I start with that will, I can commit to that I can really work and then grow into. A lot of people think, well, the neighborhood's there and say there's 2000 homes. I have to do the whole neighborhood. 
the reality is you don't have to focus on the whole neighborhood. You can focus on a pocket. You can focus on more uh, ideal parts of that neighborhood. So there could be certain types of homes. You could go after townhomes in that neighborhood. You could go after condos. You could go after the south side or the waterfront part and then expand as you go. So when you're getting started, the, again, that mistake I see a lot of agents make is they go too big. So I'd rather see you start small. And again, I, I share this story all the time with, with my friend Adam. He started on a farm and I think there was 260 homes. And everyone said, you're nuts. 260 homes, that's not enough to get started. So his philosophy was, I'm going to set aside uh, how much that I could afford monthly that I, after 12 months that if I lost the money, I wouldn't care. So he set aside about 100 bucks. And he said, 100 bucks a month, if I do that, if I lost 1,200 bucks in the year, that's okay. So he started doing that, and then he started self-funding his farm. He ended up getting, I think it was eight or nine sales in the first year after doing that out of 250 homes. He had 80% market share. Really, the, the key is focusing on, I'd rather see you start on a smaller farm than too big of a farm. Mm-hmm. And you can, like I said, you can always scale up. It's harder to scale back and it looks worse if you're farming areas, sending stuff. And then all of a sudden you pull back on those people and they get nothing from you. So it's better to start with smaller. If as a solo agent, if you're getting started, they said the 500 to 1500 is kind of ideal. You can go larger. Now I, when I started my first big farm, I did it with a, a business partner we did 3,600 homes. That was even too much for two of us to handle. So that kind of 1500 mark is the, the sweet spot. So between about a thousand and 1500 homes. Okay. Now, again, it also depends on your strategies. If you're doing old school farming, postcards, door knocking, mailing, you're going to want to go on the smaller side. If you're going purely digital, you can take on a larger area and reach more people. It's just going to depend on, on really your approach. So there isn't a, a right or wrong and there's no, it's just, I would, again, I'd rather see it focus on one neighborhood than, than two or three or four neighborhoods and try to get more business than because you're spreading yourself out. Yeah, definitely. No, that's great. Um, so there was one more question that came up. I know um, another one that came in beforehand was just the um, question about digital geographic farming. And I know that's like obviously something that you're probably implementing um, now uh, because because of COVID and everything. But other than Facebook, Facebook groups, um, Facebook ads, what are other ways that you can digitally target a community and uh, get your get the get your word get get your get your information out there to people yeah so i think video is the one of the critical ways to get your message out there and it's super valuable right now and i've been again doing this 13 years they've been saying video is the way to go and agents are not jumping on and they should be and there's a huge opportunity still for video and, and local video so whether that's doing local business interviews whether that's high showcasing the 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 neighborhood with videos. So it could be events, things that are going on, things that are like amenities and uh, local hotspots and things like that. If you can get your videos in front of people, it's huge. Another one is, is digital newsletters. And a lot of people are thinking that newsletters are old or they suck and they don't work. The reality is we're seeing a huge resurgence with newsletters when they're done right. Boring newsletters suck. Boring newsletters mm-hmm. don't work. <laughs> Boring content doesn't work as a whole. So when you can create good content and create a good newsletter, people will want to see that and be engaged with it. That's again, coming back to the local content. If you're showcasing local businesses, if you're showcasing things that are happening in the community, people will want to know about that. The reality is most agents focus on themselves or their business or real estate as a whole. And most people don't care about real estate. 
I've heard a stat, I don't know how true it is, but on average, only 1% of the population is thinking about real estate at any given time. Hmm. We think that everyone thinks about real estate or wants to know about real estate and all we care about. Exactly. <laughs> so when you're pushing real estate information, people don't care, they tune out. So you can pepper in real estate and you can do it in a tactful way, but you really should be looking at as a community and saying, what would the community want? What kind of information would the community care about? What kind of value can I bring to the community? And again, coming back to that, positioning yourself as an expert, when you can become that ambassador for the community, that's when you start seeing magic happen. When people start seeing you care about the community and not use digital as a as a marketing or a promotion or a, a push message. You want to create conversations. You want to create value. You want to create relationships. And when you take your farm as a relationship builder and not a promotional tool, you'll start seeing changes. And I think that's part of the big change that has happened in this in as far as farming strategies and fundamentals goes agents in the past just took advantage of it and said, I'm going to just blast my message out to as many people and just push, 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 push. I'm the best. I sell more homes. I'm the best agent. I sold this home. And then people tune out and they don't care. Mm -hmm. When you become that community ambassador, when you become that champion of the area, people will resonate. People will want to connect with you and they will be become friends with you. They'll, they'll want to share what you're working on. They'll, they know that you care about the community. So they'll want to work with you. So, from a digital perspective, any chance you can get to become that community ambassador is going to increase your, your likelihood of success. Another one would be adding value outside of the way real estate agents normally do, which is not just home valuations, because that's, we all, yeah. I mean, how many ads? There's, yeah. Find out how much your home's worth for free. Everyone does that. When they first came out, that was fantastic. But how can you go above and beyond that? Can you be doing a neighborhood home price report? Can you do a uh, services list of vendors can you be doing highlighting the vendors can you be offering uh valuable savings and coupons or or um basically offers from from your preferred vendors and things like that go above and beyond just a typical oh, how much your home is worth and we sold this home because again no one cares and now you're you're unfortunately it's people that do this not a race at the bottom but you're you're trying to compete in a different pond i'd rather be over here where no one's doing this doing mm -hmm. the faster role versus the I'm the best real estate agent and, and trying to compete with everyone else who's doing the same thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. That, that's a good segue to actually another question we got too, which is from someone who is um, farming her neighborhood right now and doing pretty well on the listing side, but having some trouble attracting potential buyers to her farm. Um, so I, I think you're already kind of touching on ways that you might be able to achieve that. But what would you say to someone who's trying to grow that side of their business within their farm? That's, that's a great question. And it's great because a lot of agents overlook that side of it. And I find that's a huge opportunity when it comes to farming that agents have missed because we've been pushed the list to last listings are the best. A lot of agents just ignore the, the, the listing, the buy side of it. And there's a huge opportunity to take advantage of that and not in a bad way, but to leverage the listings to get buyers and to, to build a really balanced market. So the first thing I would do is create a buyer needs and wants list and make that a regular thing. So mm -hmm. if you're not doing that, if you have a newsletter, you should be doing a, here's what my buyers are looking for. Here's what my sellers are offering and try to match up those. So one of the things I do in my monthly newsletter, I've got a buyer's column and a seller's Here's what my buyers are looking for. Here's my any off market or people who would sell. And I, I get it out there. You could be doing a video around that. Do a weekly video. Hey, we got a new buyer. They're looking for this. Or hey, we've got a seller coming up. So getting the word out there that you're looking for both sides really helps. The other thing is marketing the heck out of your listings to your farm 
but also outside of your farm as well. And a lot of agents make the mistake. They put it on MLS and they put it on maybe a Facebook ad and that's it. You got to be thinking past that when you're doing your marketing. You got to be, if you're wanting to attract as many buyers as you can, I would say start with the, the National Association of Realtors has that the list every year that comes out where buyers come from. And I'm sure it's very similar in Canada. So look back every year and, and say, okay, where are the majority of buyers coming from? And then say, how can I get in front of those audiences? A lot of things that people overlook is friends and family. So there's a huge opportunity because people have friends and family that want to live in that neighborhood. And we don't do stuff to try to capture those people. So you could be doing marketing around the neighbors saying, hey, do you know anyone who would like to live in this neighborhood? I think it's about seven, I think six or 7% are come from friends and family and people they know. That's a huge untapped market that you could be beginning. Advertising your listings in the neighborhood is important. Having a plan up front is critical. So a lot of times people get the listing and then they kind of shoot from the hip and then go, okay, what can I do for marketing now? Mm-hmm. You should have a system in place. You should have marketing in place. You should have things ready to go. So as soon as that trigger gets pulled, you have this, 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 and this happens. The mistake that a lot of people make, especially in today's market is the minute the listing goes, or the minute someone says, I want to list my house, they'll list it. You need to have some time to get your marketing in place, to get the the resources in place, whether you're doing postcards, online marketing, whether you're doing digital, whether you're doing video, make sure you have enough time to get that out and running because you're doing your client a disservice if you're not having all the marketing ready to go and try to capture as many people as possible and try to create that buzz. And that brings me to the next thing is create buzz ahead of time. So one of the things that we created was we call it our, uh, um, Oh my goodness, my brain just froze for a second. <laughs> okay, fr- freezing is the Sorry. theme of this whole yeah. thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we call it our, our jumpstart program. So uh-huh. what we did was we knew people were wanting to sell their home. So we, a lot of people saying, yeah, I'm going to sell my home this spring or then sell it this fall. And there's that kind of lag between what happens now and then. And we we wait till last minute and they say, okay, I'm going to sell in, in, in February or March. Okay, then we reach out to them. So we created a plan where we said, listen, we're going to help you create the ideal plan between now and then we're going to help you break down step by step what you need to do to get your home ready. So whether that's small tidbits, whether it's getting some things painted, we'll create a schedule for you. So we're creating a relationship well in advance of when they're ready to sell. And then we also sell it as we're going to start doing our part and get the buzz out there. We're going to get your information out there. We're going to let people know about this listing coming up and we're going to try to create as much buzz as possible. That gives me opportunity now to market that home before we've even hit the market. We can now put it out to our friends and family and lists and neighbors and all that kind of stuff to try to get that buzz going. And we started doing that and we started getting leads before we even had the home on the market. We had an exclusive listing signed. It wasn't ready to go. We were getting it ready. And if someone did come along that wanted to buy the property and they got the right price, we'd be doing that. So a lot of agents make the mistake of just jumping when someone says list. So if we, I would say you need to have a system in place to make sure you're doing as much marketing around that as possible. And if you don't, you're, you're missing the opportunity. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's key. I mean, even we talk about having your listing presentation ready, buyer presentation ready, you know, those things should be just ready to go whenever somebody calls you. It shouldn't be scrambling at the last minute, like, oh my God, I don't have this information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something I did for years when I first started is like, I had this just rent, like I just kind of piece things together every time I was called. Yeah. And it's like, no, you ha- if you have it all ready to go, it's just going to make it that much easier. You're going to look that much more organized to your potential clients. And it's just going to go f- much more flawlessly. Mm-hmm. And I think having a marketing system is, is critical yeah. and using that. And, and that's part of your listening presentation. And you show people like when I do my presentations, I go through and say, this is what we do. 
step by step by step, here's what we do and why we do it. And every time I do my presentation, people are like, wow, that's really in depth because a lot of agents walk in there and say, okay, your home's this price. When do you want to get it on the market? Right. And they don't show them. They don't have a system. They don't have a, a step-by-step process. So yeah. the better you can get to having that smooth process, it may not be exact every single time, but really having that system that you can now show people, you'll capture more listings. But then by doing that, you'll also ensure that you get the, the proper marketing out there and that you get the most amount of buyer leads out of it as possible too. So. Right. And it saves you so much time and energy yeah. down the road each time you're talking to somebody when mm-hmm. sure you're tweaking little things each time, but you've yeah. got your foundation built and it works and you know what to do and you can speak about it. So yeah, no, that's huge. Yeah. Um, we've got two people who have asked the same question. Yeah. It looks like here. So. <laughs> It's good. Let's pop the question then. Yeah. yeah so um, a couple of people want to know about getting your face um, in the neighborhood, like on bus shelters or if there's um, other ways to to really magnify. Park benches. Yeah. Like that sort benches, of stuff sure. that historically we see a lot of. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit controversial on that topic. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll say this and take it for what it's worth. The idea of getting your face out there is is garbage in my opinion. If that's all you're doing, if you're just trying to get your face out there, you need to provide value. What value can I provide to the audience? Everyone sees people's faces. We see billboards and park benches more than most people do because we're aware of it. The general population doesn't respond, doesn't care. And again, I'll use another example. So there's in my farm that I, when I first started my farm, there was a gentleman who had a billboard who, if you live in the area, you know the billboard, he's had it for a number of years and everyone knows that billboard. It's the most, that corner that he has it on is one of the most busiest corners in, in all of the, of the, the city. And you look in the, in the neighborhood and he would do two or three sales. So that billboard did not translate into sales. Mm. Now, if you look, there was a condo building behind that billboard that he actually farmed. He did mailers too. He focused on that and he had about eight sales. So it's the subsequent stuff that matters. The billboard itself, if you're just going in for it with a billboard or a park bench or, or things like that, it's not going to have the same effect. And if you're just getting started, that would be one of the last things I do. You need to get market share. You need to get your name out there. You need to get your business going and get your brand being aware of it. And then if you want to spend the money on park benches and billboards, but you're not going to get the, the, the volume unless you commit to every single park bench, every single billboard, every single garbage can in the area. And then by the time you do that, the cost is just not worth it. There are yeah. so many other strategies that are much more effective and, and you can track a lot better than those things. So I don't know if you guys follow Dean Jackson, but I love his his stuff. So he talks about the importance of getting your name out there versus getting people's names in inside. So he uses an example. If, if you're on stage, would you rather have you hand out 200 business cards to people and get your name out there? Or would you rather have the 10 people that are in that neighborhood get the, give you the information so you know their name, phone number, when they're selling and get their, their information? So I'd rather get the people's information to me than just get my name out there. Because getting your name out there can work, but it's not as effective as getting people to reach out to you. So that's where when you start creating value, when you start learning to provide the right offers that people are now putting their hands up, that becomes who you really start focusing on. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I talk about all the time is your farm really isn't the 2000 people in your neighborhood. It's the four or 500 people that you can get to put your hand up that you can love on extra, that you can now follow up with, that you can send your newsletter to, that you can stay on top of, that you can build relationships with. Those mm-hmm. people are going to be your real, your real mine, if you will. It's the people that you can get to put their hand up. 
anything above and beyond that that you do business outside of that is is kind of bonus business. So it's how can you get people to to get them to put their hand up and really connect with you when mm -hmm. you start figuring out that that's when you're going to see more success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're bang on with the park bench stuff and the face stuff. We definitely agree with that. We, we don't put our faces even on our for sale signs anymore. Like it's more about the message, the value. Exactly. And for anybody who has a mailbox to me, a park bench is similar to the 10 postcards you get every day you open your mailbox mm -hmm. where it's just noise after a while when everyone's saying the same thing and there's so many yeah. people doing it it kind of cancels out and there is no nothing that resonates other than like you said, sure. I know that face now cause it's been there for a year, but, but that, um, that costs a lot of money. And it costs too. a lot. Like yeah. you can't just put, and I know like a lot of agents come in and they think, okay, I'll send out one postcard campaign and everybody's going to call me. It's like, no, it doesn't work. Like people are spending years putting yeah. out weekly postcards and then it finally hits. Yeah. Exactly. Consistency is so key. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, then people do that. Then they they do the build the park bench for a year, and then they don't get anything from it. They go, ah, I gave up on it. It's like they right. really wasted every dollar that you spent. Versus, yeah. I'd rather see you pick five hundred homes, take the same budget from that, and just hit those five hundred homes with the right message and get in front of them rather than just the, the, the park bench. So. Yeah, we we did that. We bought ad space in an elevator of a condo building oh, yeah. for a year, and didn't do our research. Yeah. Didn't really craft an appropriate message beyond just. Hey, we're selling your building yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. But <laughs> we didn't even do the research to realize that in that reel, there were probably two other realtors who had similar things where yeah. some and you're yeah. catching someone hopefully in the 30 seconds that they're on the elevator for your thing. Yeah. But no business came from it. And the same thing, a year passed and we just said that was a waste of however much money it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, anyway, I, I, I couldn't agree more on that. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the next real question, uh, one of our viewers is asking if you played for the Edmonton Oilers. I don't think yeah, you're I that right. <laughs> no. I wish I wish I had his money, but yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but our next question is talking about open houses when yep. you're farming a neighborhood. And mm -hmm. we just finished a podcast with a couple of very opinionated realtors who are on either side of this particular question. Yeah. COVID aside. I mean, yeah. obviously with COVID, open houses are not a thing or shouldn't be. Um, but she's asking, are they useful? Are they useless? What do you recommend to agents who did well with open houses in their farm and now can't in their current state of emergency? So I guess it's a bit of a two-parter. Yeah. So yeah. Would you pick it back up as a farmer? And if so, yeah. or if I'll start not? with the first question. Absolutely valuable. Yeah. Um, especially in a farm because mm -hmm. you are doing focused marketing in your farm. That is an opportunity to get a lot of business. Now I want to start with that before I'm sorry, before I move on to that, I want to start that you need to have a marketing plan around your farm when it comes, sorry, around your open house. The mistake that most agents make is they just show up to their, to their open house Yeah. or they put it on realtor.ca and then they show up. Your opportunity from your open house is not the open house itself. That's what people make the mistake. They think, well, I'm going to get deals from the open house. That's not where, I mean, if you get deals from the open house, fantastic. The opportunities with open houses is everything you do before the open house, everything you do after the open house. It's the marketing you're doing around it. It's the following up with people. It's the leads you're generating because you're advertising it. <clears throat> the open house is just an, creates an opportunity for you to create more marketing and to get the message out there. The open house sitting there at the day of the open house can be effective. Again, if you do the right things at the open house but it's really you need to have a solid marketing plan around it and if you do it correctly you should be doing calls around the neighborhood postcards around the neighborhood letting people know doing 
Facebook lives beforehand, doing Facebook lives at the open house, following up with people after. So if you're going to do it in your farm, you got to blitz it. Just showing up is not going to be as effective. But one thing you can do to increase the chances of having success is having a lot of open house signs. Now it also depends on your area. Each like Oakville limits how many signs you can have, but having properly branded signs makes all the difference in the world. So for us, when we did our farm, because our branding was the orchard real estate team, we focused on the orchard brand and we focused on we're the experts. So all our open house signs were not our face. It was the orchard, our logo and the, the orchard information. So we had 20 different signs. We'd put up 15 or 20 at a time and we'd get the message out there as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Now at the open house, you also have to make sure you're providing value and not being like every other agent. So if you're going to do it and just show up and take a walk around and then if you have any questions, let me know. That's what every other agent does, or they force them to sign up. So here's sign up. The reality is every other agent does that. So you're not standing out. But why open houses are important in your farm is it's you're being interviewed by your neighbors. You're being interviewed by the people who are in that farm and they're seeing, are you the right person for me when I'm ready to sell my home? What are you doing that's marketing differently than what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Sure, I'm trying to get listings out of it. Sure, I'm trying to sell the property or sorry, sorry trying to get buyers out of it. Sure, I'm trying to sell the property, but it's also your greeting card, if you will, or your, your business marketing to the neighborhood as well. So when you do those mail outs to the neighborhood, when you do the open house signs, when you do the social media, when you do the live videos and you do that stuff, the neighbors are realizing that you're going above and beyond what most agents do, which is just show up and hope that someone comes through. You also have to provide value at the open house to the people that are there. So we do our neighborhood home price report. We used to do a hard copy binder. We'd send it out to people. So we'd have them there and we'd say, Hey, would you guys like to get a copy of our report? And then they'd see them. They'd look through it and go, Oh, this is great. Fantastic. I'd love to get a copy. Sure. We'll mail it out to you or we drop it off. because it's our way to be introduced to them. We had uh, value items from our preferred vendors there. So we had gift certificates. We had vouchers for things. We had their promotional materials. We had educational materials. So again, it wasn't just sitting there hoping that someone comes in and likes the home and wants to put an offer in, we go above and beyond. I'm not a person who follows people around in an open house, but one of the things that we do is we do a uh, uh, survey. So it basically, they go through and it's scale of one to 10. How do you like the kitchen? How do you like the size of the bedrooms? How do you like the landscape or the outdoors? The And then we get them to give a rating. Most people will be happy to fill that out. So then we say, hey, just take this with you. Let us know what you think. We let the sellers know at the end what people thought about the property. And then on the bottom, it says, would you like more information? Do you have a realtor? Would you like to get a copy of our report? And then now they're they're already agreeing to it as they're walking through. They're checking off. Oh, this is great. This is great. Again, we're standing out and people come through and say, oh, I've never seen this before. Oh, this is fantastic. Oh, wow. I, I really like this. Now, of course, they're going to leave their information. They're going to leave it and be more truthful with information because they've already taken the time to fill out the the open house form. Mm -hmm. And then now they have to come back and give us the clipboard because they've taken it around with them and carried it. So now we have the conversation at the end because they have to give back the clipboard. Then we say, oh, what did you think of the house? What did you like? And so it creates a different dynamic than just sign in or walk around and let me know. And then yeah. the real thing happens, the real key happens after the open house. You need to have a follow-up plan in place after the open house. You have to have the right touches, provide items of value, deliver on what you promised. If you said you were going to give them a report, make sure they get the report. Make sure you're going to do what you say you were going to do. So really, you have to have a system around the open house. If you're just showing up, you're not going to have as much effect. Now, what I would do is if you can't do open houses 
right now, well, you can't, you can do virtual open houses. You could do all the same things that you're doing at an open house because again, the, the day of the open house is not the important part. It's everything else that's behind the scenes. It's the beforehand and the afterhand. The open house is the delivery mechanism to get that message out there. So you could be doing virtual open houses. You could do a, a walkthrough, schedule it ahead of time, say on Saturday at two o'clock, I'm doing a live, do all your marketing around it, let people know, let them know how they can find out about it. You could have offer your reports, offer your information, do all that kind of stuff. You could even do a bonus with your preferred vendors and say, hey, we're going to do a Q&A after with my home inspector, what you should know when you're looking for a home, whatever you can do to, to add value. I think if you do that, regardless if it's in person or not, you're going to start seeing more traction. You're going to stand out and, and do things differently. Hopefully, if we get back to regular open houses, people can start doing them again. But 100% in your farm, I think they're super valuable. Yeah, definitely. No, that's a great Great answer. Um, okay, the, we're just gonna wrap up here with a couple last questions. So the first one, um, obviously it's better if you live in the area you're farming, but is it a bit of a problem if you don't? So what if residents and people in the community prefer working with somebody that's local? So again, I'm, I've been honest and I'm always honest. You living there has nothing to do with it. I, I would say it's not preferred, it's not better, it's not worse it makes no difference when it comes to farming. People care that you care about the community. And in, in some cases, they'd actually rather you not live in the, some people would rather you not live in the neighborhood because they don't want their nosy neighbor to know what's going on. So living in your neighborhood makes no difference. I would rather you pick the right farm than pick an area just because you live in it. Mm -hmm. so if you had to go one block over and pick this neighborhood because it's got better turnover rates and less competition and a better price point and better commissions. I, again, I proved it with, with when we started our farm, never lived in the neighborhood, never sold in the neighborhood, had no experience in the neighborhood. We branded ourselves. I chose the right neighborhood and we crushed it. So that's a mistake that a lot of agents make is they pick the neighborhood they live in and mm -hmm. then they, because they know it. That's that's not the best reason. Now, if you want to do that, and that's, that's one of the reasons you want to do it because you've yeah. got connections, you know the local people, you know the businesses, you know people in the area by all means, but it's it's not the number one reason why I would pick a farm. So mm -hmm. I would say, look more at some of the other things and then decide, does the benefit of me living in the neighborhood outweigh the other benefits of the other areas? Mm -hmm. If you're picking an area solely based on that, great. That's totally cool. Just know that it may not be the best option or that you're going to get the best return from it. Okay. So to build on that, because I agree with you and I think when you get past the, I don't live here nervousness, maybe it's a, it's a longer drive to get there every time I get a listing or whatever, if that's going to be an issue, that's an issue. But yeah. One person mentioned imposter syndrome, where you might know it's the right farm for you, but you might have a bit of a reservation because I guess projecting the authenticity that you are the ambassador for that neighborhood, yep. when you're really someone coming in and talking about how great it is, but you're not there, what would you say to that to overcome that, that nervousness about the imposter syndrome effect? you need to actually believe that it is a great neighborhood and you need to believe <laughs> that there is value there. And if you're doing what you're doing, you're showcasing what is great about it. You're not, you don't have to say it's the best neighborhood because there may be better neighborhoods. Maybe obviously me living on the lake would be a lot better on, on Lakeshore road with $5 million home is a better neighborhood. But when you look at the whole picture is what does it have? It's got what the great schools, it's got parks, it's got events going on. It's got a great community vibe. It's got these local businesses. It's got, community ambassadors. So you have to showcase what is great about it. Not saying you have to say everything is the, it's the best. It's, it's not Donald Trump right. and say everything's the best and whatever. <laughs> there it's is not a neighborhood anywhere. <laughs> better. So uh, what is great about it and, and showcase that. That's, that's not, 
There's no imposter syndrome about that. There's nothing no. fake about that. It's what is great about this. You may have to look. Now, if, if you have to look that hard to try to find something great about that neighborhood, it might be maybe it's not the right neighborhood to be farming. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but and it goes back to your original point about having the energy and the and the interest in working in that yep. neighborhood. If it doesn't drive you and motivate you and inspire you, then yep. there's no point in even going down that road. So I think that's a great, great point. I think another um, point before, before we move on to that, I, I want to share is that you also want to find a neighborhood that you can resonate with. Yeah. What I mean by that is, is you're going to connect with. So for me, in my age group, the neighborhoods that I like is those young families who have a few kids. I don't have any kids myself, but I still resonate with that age group, the interests, the demographics. If I was 70 or 60, I may want to go after an, an older demographic. If I was 25, I may want to go after younger demographic of people who are just getting started. Or if I'm into horse farms or horses, maybe I want to focus on an area that has equestrian farms. Or if I'm into luxury and that's the area i want to go into because i come from an affluent neighbor family or i grew up affluent you want to go after that so really pick an area that's you're going to resonate with as well and not just straight numbers and i'll share this as an example my very first farm flopped when i got started i started an area i was in in ajax i was in the in durham region when i first started my farm mm -hmm. and what i didn't realize was there was a language barrier so a lot of people mm -hmm. there were new immigrants to canada and english was not their first language culturally was very different than mine when I looked on paper, it looked fantastic. The, the turnover rates looked great. The sales mm -hmm. prices looked great. The commissions looked great. And then we got out there, boots on ground, starting meeting people, and people wouldn't talk to me at the door. There wouldn't. There was no communication. Mm -hmm. They couldn't speak English. So I was like, okay, this isn't the right fit for me. Like it's just yeah. it's from a language perspective. I don't speak their language. Someone who spoke their language and understands culturally what's important to them will probably do a lot better than myself. So it's figure out an area that you're going to resonate with, that you can connect with, and that you can really provi provide value to. That's a great, great point. It's uh, there's so many questions. I know, but at that, but at the same <laughs> we time, we have to come back for part two. But, but it's a good yeah. segue though to the fact for that sure. people can get all their questions answered yes. by actually visiting you. And yeah. uh, and the most recent question we have is a perfect way, I think, to to close Cap everything off. Yeah, which is someone asking about your class and sure. a little bit more information about what you do, how they can get in touch with you. Um, if you want to talk about things like they asked about cost, I mean, maybe they can find that out there unless you want to just talk about it. Here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go that. So, yeah if, if you want to check out the show for, from a cost perspective, the show's zero cost. So it's free to check out. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on the, my website, which is launcherfarm.com. It's launcher farm. So if you Google launcher farm, you'll find it on there. Uh, it's YouTube slash launcher farm, Instagram slash launcher farm, Facebook slash launcher farm. So I locked down the launcher farm brand Perfect. so you can find the information that way. So the show is a weekly show. I interview agents, as I mentioned, it's usually 30, 40 minutes, great content, a lot of great information. So even if you are just wanting to find out if farming is the right fit for you, or if you're trying to find strategies that might work, I interview a ton of different agents who do different things when it comes to farming. So you can kind of see what's out there. So it's a great place to start. If you're looking for a little more help from that, if you're looking to get your farm started, I've got two courses available. The first is the farm course and it's thefarmcourse.com. It's just an introduction to farming. It's 99 bucks. It basically just kind of gives you the overview of what you need to do with farming, why you should be doing farming, kind of getting yourself in the right mindset and understanding the kind of the farming fundamentals. So it's just more around what is farming and, and why you should be doing it. The mm -hmm. next step up would be you want to actually get your farm started. So I have a the farm 
uh, 30-day launch. So it's called, you can find the website, it's thefarmlaunch.com. And that's basically a 30-day program. When you sign up for it, you can take it at any time. You sign up, you start, and it releases one video per day for 30 days. And then each day, it's an action step. So you go through the training. It's about usually about a half an hour each day. There's almost 12 hours of, of training. And then, then there's homework. So you go through, and it literally breaks down the first week is doing all these the numbers we talked about, studying it. So by the end of the first week, you've now got an area that you farm. Then you go through your marketing message and then getting the right message in place. Then we go through your value ads, and then we tie it all together. So at the end of the 30 days, you're ready to launch your farm. Now, what it isn't, isn't uh, I'm not giving you every marketing piece you should be doing and giving you all the tools. It's getting you launched because a lot of agents get hung up on that launch part. So I created it as an accountability tool to actually get you to go get started and you work through it. And then in 30 days, you can have your farm ready to go. So that's 199 bucks. I think it's a great $199 investment. Very reasonable. It gets you up and running and it gets you going. So again, yeah. that's thefarmlaunch.com. And then my more advanced group is my uh, boot camp. So that's an eight week program and we have a small group of agents to go through that. And then we do one live call per week. And then we have a ton of homework assignments, resources. And the premise of that is it's kind of a menu of strategies that you can use to implement in your farm. So it's meant for people who are, I've already launched their farm or have been farming. I have an agent who's 30 plus years in the business going through it right now, who crushing it in farm in the past wants kind of a, a refresh on how he can do his farm again. So it's basically it's different strategies each week. By the end of the eight weeks, you can then go back and say, okay, I like this. I like this. I like this. Let's implement that. And by no means am I intending everyone to go through and do all of them. Cause there's about 15 different strategies that you can put into your farm. So that's uh, four 99. And then again, that's, we got a small private Facebook group for each group that we go through and we work through them and share them each week and, and kind of get you up and running. And I'm going to be launching, Oh, sorry. And that's the, uh, it's called the farmbootcamp.com if you want to find that. Okay. And then I'm going to be launching in the next month or so a membership site. So it's going to be about 50 bucks a month and it'll be ongoing training, additional resources and support and some more interviews, additional interviews and things like that. And then if you want extra help and support, I offer one-on-one consulting as well. So. Awesome. Well, awesome. And so basically you could get all of that for less than one park bench people. Exactly. <laughs> less, less than a right. single bus Very shelter and you could have everything. Exactly. A hundred percent. No, that's great. Thank you so much, Ryan. This was so valuable. And I think a lot of people are going to be able to just get started and honestly go to those websites. We'll make sure to link to them um, in, in the comments. Cause I honestly think that it's such a valuable, wherever people are looking to start, there's something for them. And um, there, Obviously, you have a lot of wisdom, a lot of uh, value that you can bring to uh, this industry. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on me. And thank you for doing this uh, show. Because I know, again, from someone who creates content, it's great to see other agents sharing the love and, and really raising the bar in this business. And thank you for doing this because it's helped our industry. The more, the more people that tune into this, the better we have. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we appreciate Wonderful. it. You're awesome. This guy's the real deal. Level up, level up, level up.